Hello everyone, welcome to three of our favourite things podcast, hosted by myself, Ryan Underwood, and co-hosted by Nick Scott. On this podcast, we review three of our favourite things in whatever category of pop culture we want and discuss them on pod. We hope you enjoy the episode, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 3FavePod with the number 3, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at punks underscore a underscore myth, and Nick on Twitter at Nick underscore Scott 56. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hello, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Three of Our Favourite Things, the podcast where we talk about three of our favourite things. Um, but it's not just random. Each week we have a different theme, and this week we are talking about internet rabbit holes. Things that we stay up into the depths of the night looking at at excruciating detail or you know we just spend a lot of time looking at casually basically it just talking about our interests that are maybe outside of film tv or music yep. so yeah brian what um what is your first internet rabbit hole so my first internet rabbit hole this week is mythology and history so um, more specifically, like I started, I've really always been into history and it's mainly because of my last topic that I'll talk about later. Um, but I've, I was always into like different time periods, into the Tudors, into Egyptians for a bit, and then got into like American history, got into more recent history. And I, I tried to read up on almost anything I can and a lot of mythology and stuff because it helps you understand the history a lot easier. Um, especially when you talk about like Rome, Greece, Egypt, like Mesopotamia and the Babylonians and all that. It's just, it's so much easier to delve into this thing when you know what their belief systems are. And so this is something that I kind of constantly research. Um, but more specifically at night when it's like, I can't sleep, so I look it up. It's um, there's a YouTube channel, channel called Overly Sarcastic Productions that do uh, breakdowns of like Greek history, modern history. They do everything. And then it's hosted by Red and Blue. Red does your mythology, your tropes. Um, so she recently did one about Grimdark, which is about like the like Sin City sort of universes and how they build worlds. She did one on Magnificent Bastards recently, which was like when you've got a character that's just really good and everyone loves him, but he's not a good guy. So it's not the same as like how everybody loves the Joker. He's not a magnificent bastard. He's just a bastard because he actually in the world has no redeeming qualities. Um, but yeah, this, this channel is just really good for learning about anything you want to learn. They do the golden age of piracy. They do take a lot of video games into account what's popular in mainstream culture. So they've just done uh, the Vikings for Assassin's Creed Valhalla and um, they did Egyptians and they're always doing all sorts, which is really cool. And then also um, there's a podcast with the maker of uh, Horrible Histories as the host. He's the head nerd and he gets a comedian on and an expert and they just go through a random topic in history. And I think it's called uh, You're Dead to Me. Um, Nick, you'll probably actually quite like this. They've got... I was going to say that. You need to listen to it. Yeah, I was going to say I'm definitely going to check that out now. That sounds so good. Yeah, so... It's, it's a bit like if you remember um, what our English teacher told us to listen to the podcast, um, but more, I can't remember what it was called now, the one he told us to listen to, but it was like a breakdown of historical events and things. I think it was in our time or something like that. 
Um, yeah, the Radio 4 show or something like that. Yeah, but this one is a uh, BBC Radio 4, but it's mainly on sounds and podcasters. So uh, it's literally says, it's called You're Dead to Me. Um, and you can find it on Spotify. Uh, the, tr- the history podcast for people who don't like history and those who do. Greg Jenner brings together the best names in comedy and history to learn and laugh about the past. So the newest one I haven't listened to yet is King James VI of Scotland, which is the first of England. Um, the Ascentine Empire, the Borgias, which was fucking insane because they were like a Renaissance mafia in Italy. The dad was the Pope and he was basically an atheist and he just used the position of power to like just do what he wanted. They ended up invading most of Italy. His son Cesare was a, was a very stabby person. And <laughs> his daughter slept around and married different people and killed them when they weren't needed and stuff. So that, that was really interesting. Um, ancient Greeks and Roman medicine, which I already know a little bit about. The Irish pirate Grenane O'Malley, um, and she actually met Queen Elizabeth I, which was cool. Um, and then there's loads of very strange ones. So the history of chocolate was really good. Uh, Victorian Christmas was really good. The witch craze, the history of football, Stonehenge, young Napoleon. So you, you sort of get the drift. It's just loads of 40 minute episodes about different parts of history. So, yeah. Cool. Any questions so, about the rabbit holes, Nick? <laughs> yeah. Um... Do you have like any like particularly good anecdote that you've got from like going through this sort of stuff? Is there one that sort of like sticks out of mind? They like oh, way back when so and so used to do this. Yeah, there actually there's actually quite a couple. Um, the two I can think of at the top of my head is the first international football match was between England and Scotland, and there weren't enough players for eleven aside. So at half time, some of the players switched teams. And that was the first international football match, which I found really interesting. Um, when yeah. when men were away at war in the, in the Second World War, in the First World War, women competed in football and it got really popular. It was basically like selling out Goodison Park every week, um, which was really, really cool. Uh, another one is there's a love story. It's a myth, um, which is basically where Cupid comes from. And I think his name's Eros. Let me just check because it will be on youtube so basically there's a myth about um what would later become cupid was the god of mm-hmm. not the god of love but i think his mother let me just check is it eros and psyche yeah so um there was a princess called psyche and an angel called eros in greek mythology and his mother was um i can't remember <laughs> why am i forgetting all the god's names Eros and Psyche myth. So basically, um, Psyche was the most beautiful princess in the world and um, everybody wanted to be with her and uh, everybody was sort of too intimidated because of how pretty she was to actually speak to her. And so um, she married someone and then he got killed by another man because he was like dead jealous of her. And then um, nobody would fall in love with her and she was told there was only one creature that will fall in love with you who will be able to marry you who's very rich lives at the top of this abandoned palace um, and he's invisible so you'll never see him but he's hideous so you've just got to marry him for the good of the kingdom and she said like, okay so she travelled up to the top of this mountain as you do in Greece and just marry 
a random person that you'll never see. And um, she got very confused as to why she could never see this person. So at the middle of the night, she took a lantern and one of the sparks jumped off the lantern and landed on the creature. And it was the angel Eros, which, like I said, is basically Cupid. And his mother was the god of beauty, um, who is, I can't remember the fucking name of the god of beauty. How have I forgotten this? This is the pressure. <laughs> uh, Greek god of beauty. I think it's Aphrodite. Yeah. So his mom, Eros's mom is Aphrodite. And Eros is like, how could you betray me? And flies away and complains to his mum, being like, oh my God, like she just didn't trust me. And then he gets over it extremely quickly. But before he got over it, um, Aphrodite imprisoned him in her house and went to go pick on Psyche. Um, because obviously Aphrodite thinks she is the most beautiful person never to live. So she's going to torture this little girl who's just pissed off her son. Um, <clears throat> so she goes up to her and gives her impossible ta tasks. So she dumps a load of grains on the floor and goes, um, I want you to sort all these grains by type by tomorrow. And um, the thing about this character, Psyche, is she's a Disney princess. Ants come and do it for her. And Aphrodite is just like, fuck's sake. So then she goes, right. She puts her in a field and goes, get all the wool off all of these sheep using only your hands. Um, and I need this much wool. And so... Um, she goes to start trying to collect this wall, ripping off the sheep. She's like getting attacked by the sheep. And then um, this farmer comes and goes, oh, I've just sheared a load of sheep. Here's all the wool and gives her the wool. And she goes back and Aphrodite's getting more and more pissed off. And she's like, what, what should I do? Right. There's a goblet at the bottom of this lake. It's surrounded by dragons and eagles. And then Zeus looks down and goes, um, like, poor girl is being abused by Aphrodite because Aphrodite's having a little bitch fit that she's not the prettiest person in the world anymore. So uh, Zeus turns into a hawk, goes down, dives into the river, picks up the goblet and gives it to Psyche. And Psyche gets extremely like happy and she does it all. And then um, basically Zeus has to um, basically protect Psyche from Aphrodite for years and years and years and years. So it's just, it's a proper strange myth. Um, and it's actually the origin of the Cupid character. Um, I very, very much uh, just kind of flowed through that, what I could remember. It's a very weird myth, um, but if you go and look at Overly Sarcastic Productions, their video on that is insane. And their quality is really good. They hand draw it all as well. So, yeah. Any more questions? Uh, I can't remember a question. I was going to say, um, have you have you seen on Netflix? There's like this series called like Myths and Monsters or something like that. Yeah, I've been and told I, to watch it. I think you'd really like that because each episode goes through. I was going to say each week. Then I'm like <laughs> podcast mode. <laughs> each episode it goes through like a different theme and then like talks about all sorts of different myths like relating to that theme oh, from good. all sorts of different eras. Which is, I think it's like really good. Also, the guy who does it, just like the voiceover, has a really cool voice and he always has like a really cool tie on. <laughs> I'll have to give it a watch, man. Yeah. I think what else is always really, always really good as well, like the Netflix um, history docudramas. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> There's some really, really good ones out there on Netflix. But um, I think when it, like, Ever the podcast again, the one that I was listening to uh, with the chief nerd of horrible histories, um, 
another part of the history rabbit hole I tend to go down is the literature history rabbit holes. So like, obviously we studied Frankenstein when we were in college. And so yeah, there was yeah. an episode on Mary Shelley where I kind of just like almost, I almost knew it all, but it's always good to go over things. So you've got more knowledge about it. And um, it was like traumatizing because her life was fucking horrible. Um, she had a really, really, really dark life. Um, and then her son, because he was a Victorian, basically whitewashed her whole life. But then there was an episode on Percy Shelley, which was really good because um, I didn't really know a lot about him. And then there was an episode on Lord Byron, which I thought was really, really good because that man was so weird. He had a menagerie in his, like, in his house. He had like two horses parrots lizards monkeys and they all just lived in his house with him and then and he sleep with his cousin once because he was bored yeah no he, but he was like a private school like kid wasn't he who inherited this title and then yeah not an against you private school kid <laughs> no but no but even <laughs> even <laughs> Oh man, even even in the episode, the professional uh, person on that episode was like, it was sort of normal for people of his class to end up sleeping with cousins. Lord Byron was also um, not, he's not called bisexual, but he was bisexual. Um, it was mm. just seen as normal to, at that age, in that sort of society, like do things at private school with lads when you were like in a boarding school. Um, so he was a bit weird about that, but he did sleep with quite a lot of his cousins and he did end up like nicking like all of his mates, girlfriends and stuff. But he was sort of the first rock star. Um, another really funny thing that um, I should have told you before with the funny um, things I remember is there was a fan from Lord Byron. It was They were called Byromaniacs, by the way. They had a name. They, and it's literally like the Beatles. It's like as mad as some of the shit. The Byromaniacs. That's no, always just going to become a bit. <laughs> it's amazing, but it's like um, it's almost as mad as the Beatles. Some of the stuff they got sent. So this woman sent him a thing, um, like a package with a letter, being like um, like this picture of you on the back of your novels, like make my knees like fucking like do shit, whatever. The, make my loins like go for you and stuff like that. And he was like. Well, this is a bit mental. And he was like perfect goth, like skinny, but he was like, didn't try at school. So he had an open shirt with his cheekbone on, like his fucking cheekbones out and his fucking collarbones on show the whole time. He was extremely pale because all he did was read and write and pet animals inside. And then he had like shaggy black hair. So everybody was like, this man is beautiful. Um, like, cause he's like a gothic writer. And it, it was the first sort of crush like that. And what she did was she sent him a thing going, um, I fancy, like, I basically fancy you so much. I prepared for you to come and meet me. Um, and she'd cut off with scissors all of her pubes and sent them to Lord Byron. And I just, like, burst out. I was in the middle of an Asda listening to this. And I just, like, burst out laughing, like, why the fuck did she send Lord Byron her pubes? Oh, it was so funny, man. Yeah. like... Oh, I can't believe teenagers these days are sending like pictures of themselves over the internet to like 
their boyfriends or their girlfriends or whatever. And it's like, back in, the, back in my day, you just have to get the scissors out. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's like um, teenagers, like, taking photos of themselves and posting it to the partners on Snapchat. How, like, disgusting. But li- literally, <laughs> some of the shit you had to do. Like, you look at the Beatles, they got underwear thrown at them. Like, I, I'm not I'm not being funny. Like, if you went up to, like, a fucking Childish Gambino gig now, if you were throwing knickers, people would think you're 80. Like, it's, it's not, not a normal thing you do anymore. Some people, I think, like, some concerts, you still get it. Do you? I don't know. I was going to say, what concert have you ever been to where someone's thrown underwear at the stage? To be fair, I, I, I personally have never been... Although, there's this band in Liverpool called Character Development. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I think... But, no, man. <laughs> yeah, but the history... history no, 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 that, that was Ryan's band. He was like, I'll see how from underwear on stage. Or yeah. envelope full of cubes. <laughs> <laughs> Hand delivered. <laughs> yeah, no, so... it's it's just fucking weird man yeah so that that's all i've really got for the history section um there are are a couple of like youtubers that i watch um but it's main mainly as overly sarcastic productions and uh the you that your dad's me podcast um other than that it's mainly random videos i find but it's really hard to find good quality videos on his, like history and myths that don't feel purely educational. Like OSP, Overly Sarcastic Productions, have a really good um, like aesthetic. They they sum it up. They've got a bit of humor to them. They've got running jokes and stuff. It feels more like a TV show trying to teach you rather than a teacher who's put a PowerPoint presentation on YouTube with his voice over it. Um, yeah. there's actually a bit of production value a bit of like uh, awareness that we're in a common age and you know you need to like reference memes and stuff to make jokes you need to reference tv shows you need you need to make references to things that we will know now not just things that the greeks would have known or the romans so yeah history yeah. and mythology fucking class so yeah we'll move on to your second internet rabbit hole Yes, so my second one is uh, music and just the stuff behind music. So this is anything from educational um, stuff about like the bands, what they did, uh, what single singular people in these bands have done, how music's been changed, um, the evolution of music, tropes inside of it. So um, a really big one for me is the YouTube channel Polyphonic. He makes videos um, about all sorts of different stuff. So I'm just going to Google them now. There's another one called uh, Middle Eight that does similar things. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's one more, but the there's two Middle Eight and another one use really similar um, art. So Polyphonic's latest ones is like what is Be- what is Bohemian Rhapsody about, which was pretty cool. How Andre Three Thousand writes about love, the story of King Crimson's screaming face, uh, Canada's favorite sea shanty, the Twenty Seven Club. The best protest album of 2020, uh, Bob Dylan, a close lyrical reading, sci-fi and Jimi Hendrix, um, The Devil and the Crossroads, which was really interesting. I already knew a little bit about it. Um, 
like the first King of Jazz, the Hotel California, did a whole series on Led Zeppelin. He's done In Defense of Meg White, uh, Mesmerize and Hypnotize, how System of a Down uh, protested in a basically like against China. Uh, Nina Simone is hip hop's secret weapon. Loads of stuff like that. He's done an artist one where he went through all of Kanye West, all of David Bowie, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Kendrick Lamar. Um, and he talks about all sorts of his, he doesn't, he doesn't have a specific part of music he focuses on. He focuses on like anything he wants to do, which is what I find really interesting. The graphics in the videos are really good. Um, and most of, most of the time you can actually get through to like, um, you can mostly listen to the songs, but it depends whether he's had to mute them for YouTube. Um, yeah, so I also there's some really good music documentaries out on Netflix as well. So yeah, I, I that's what I mainly do when it comes to that um, sort of stuff. Are there any? Is there any like particular artists that you would like to look at, or um, you know? Well, I, as you know, um, mainly I, I did a lot of research and have still do a little bit of research about Kurt Cobain, about Dave Grohl. Uh, Chris Novoselic. Um, I always try and read books, get books as well. So I've actually got Kurt's journals, um, the Rolling Stones um, Nirvana book, but I've also got uh, Jimi Hendrix's autobiography, not autobiography, just biography. Um, I've got shit tons of fucking books, but they're all up there. Um, I've got one about like the whole history of grunge. Um, but I, I kind of just like delving into different things. I really like learning about the way that people write music. So yeah. um, the Downward Spiral, uh, someone did a really good video about how Trent Reznor wrote that album. And it was basically at the height of his drug addiction and the height of his self-hate when they, like just after they got signed, but they hated um, their old record company still. And they were still going through legal stuff with them after they signed with Dr. Dre to Interscope. And then um, it's all, it's just really mad, the stuff that Trent Reznor does with music. And I can see why he's got into film because he really likes triggering awkward sounds that make you feel something. And I, like, if you listen to Closer or Hurt or uh, Sin or any Nine Inch Nails songs like that, you can hear it. Um, Jimi Hendrix is a really good one because of the way he played guitar. Um, it, most people go through his techniques. Um, so it's like the fact that he basically invented a chord, um, more, more the fact that he made this chord popular where you use your thumb as part of the chord. And he, he had extremely long hands, Jimi Hendrix, so he could do anything on a guitar at all times. He was left-handed, which was weird. But um, I also really like going into the devil and the crossroads stuff, so like Robert Johnson and the fact that he did it. There was like two Italian uh, violinists that also did it. And one of them turned away the priest when they were dying because uh, the priest came to read him as last rites. And he was like, there's no point with me. I've, my soul's already bound somewhere else. And they're like, fuck, this guy sold his soul to the devil, <laughs> which is fucking cool. Um, yeah, the gorillas one was really interesting uh, about how it's um, sort of using a metaphor for the old mills. So the old like windmill, windmill for the land is about when Britain used to be like without factories and stuff. And it's sort of saying, this is what music was. Music was the windmills and the families working on them and the honest souls. And now it's being 
industrialized by companies. Um, and that's what Gorillas is all about when you look at it. Um, yeah, there's just, man, there's so much stuff you can go into with these sort of videos. It's honestly, it will take up so much time and you'll have so much knowledge about so many different things, but it's, it is worth it. Like um, how, how the Arctic Monkeys broke America, um, which they only did extremely recently in their career. Um, how Seven Nation Army became a stadium chant. Um, OK Computer, why is OK Computer so good? Like, why is it critically acclaimed? Um, I actually don't like that album, but I'm not really a big fan of Radiohead in general. Um, so, yeah. One question. So, obviously, as someone who um, is in a band and writes music and writes lyrics, do you, do you sort of, like, find that these... I mean, I know you don't really, you haven't really mentioned specifically looking at like technical stuff in music, but do you find that these stories about other musicians and like these anecdotes and stuff, do you find that they inspire you in some ways or like in some ways motivate what you might be writing or yeah. do you think it's a big set for it? So if, if I pick up, like if I'm writing, um, if, I'm, if I'm struggling to write, usually watching these videos helps me come up with a certain way because one thing is always taught is you don't rip someone off you take things that you like and mix it into the part of things that you like to make something new and you can pick things out or put things in and you can always change it so if i was looking at like um there's a eps i can't remember actually who did the video but there was a how kurt wrote heart-shaped box um let's find it how kurt wrote songs it'll be there um it's called holistic songwriting and he actually goes through like no it's not it's 12 tone the secret to writing um and what they did was they kind of showed you how he used off notes that shouldn't have been put there to accentuate a sound how he muted certain things that shouldn't have been muted how to incorporate a riff into a chord progression um, how to use different keys in a specific way to get a specific sound. But then there's videos on the Arctic Monkeys. Um, someone did one about how they really took inspiration from hip-hop for AM and how the bass and the drums were really driven by that. And then you also... So I, I use that for songs that I want to sound more like that. Um, and then with lyrics as well, it's really good because... There's a video about how Arctic Monkeys take inspiration from poetry. There's videos about how Jimi Hendrix really liked sci-fi and put that into a lot of his lyrics and the stoner culture, um, which is really cool. So, yeah, I think it's, all, it's always useful to learn more as a musician about other musicians so that you know where to experiment, you know what's been treaded. So if you think you've discovered something that's really new and then someone walks up to you and goes, actually, this sounds a lot like this you know why you know where that inspiration's come from or you know um you know where to look for something that you're interested in even if you haven't nailed it yet which is cool, cool. Yeah. yeah um i'm trying to think of some cool questions uh... So do you find yourself like more drawn? So I know you talk about like a lot about like looking at um, tropes and stuff, but are you also interested in? Um, are you more interested in like 
the technical side or the sort of stories that you get about musicians and you know what they made on the road or what they were doing whilst writing an album is there like one thing you prefer than the other or i think it's important to have for me it's important to have both of them because i like to understand the art that i know um which is why it's always good to what like watch documentaries um so like there's so many on Netflix about so many different artists like Quincy Jones and Jimi Hendrix and there's biopics now of everything. You got Montage Heck and found footage documentaries and tour documentaries um, and Scorsese fucking films about Rolling Stones and shit. Um, mm-hmm. And it's always good to know the stories behind the personal lives and the personal troubles of the artists, um, which I enjoy on a purely entertainment and knowledge like knowledgeable level like it's always good to know a lot about stuff that you like so in conversation you can say something and then someone can pitch in it's like if we were in the pub and I was talking about like a weird fact about um I don't know say I was talking to this is quite morbid but it's the only thing I could think of is what if I was sitting down with like you and Vin and I went oh yeah well um in the biopic um about Jimi Hendrix he hit a girl over the head with a phone um, repeatedly and he used to beat his missus isn't that awful but then he also died of LSD and then like someone else could pop up and be like oh well you know like John Lennon used to beat his missus does that just mean it was like something that they did back in the day or is it still a troubling thing and you can go on to the conversation that way or you could talk about like how Hosier has got like a really strange thing about writing about God even though he's atheist and then you could go well oh this other artist like Kanye did that but he's extremely like into his religion so that's good to know but it's also good as an artist to see how people write new things so that you can write things and take an inspiration from their techniques like patty smith really pioneering um like the stage sort of after punk uh with mm. lyrics and the way that she sort of simplified it but um made it sound more professional than punks did which was another really good idea yeah i remember because I, I think like uh with what you're saying about you know if you if you're really interested in artists like understanding the environment they were in and the things they did definitely sort of brings a whole new level of enjoyment to listening to their work yeah i remember i went to like a q a like a q a sort of thing from with the front man from idols yeah, I can't remember his fucking name now. It's pretty bad. <laughs> I've never, I'd never knew anybody from Idols. I just knew of them. Oh, anyway, the front man from Idols. And just talking about, like, his experiences, you know, um, sort of, like, growing up and what he'd seen in his life and, like, what he used to do and, like, the fact how he used to be, like, a drug dealer and stuff. And then just sort of like listening re-listen to like the album brutalism again because obviously there's there's quite like a variation in what the album sort of goes through and then when you get like some songs um that are like like date night or um you know other ones that are more sort of like about his own experiences it it, it brings it much more together it makes it all so much more interesting yeah. i always feel Exactly, like it's it's context is key when, especially when it comes to artists, because it helps you not idolize them but humanize them, which is the most important thing. 
Like if if um there was a video that Polyphonic did about how he said he used to glorify the twenty seven club and now he looks at it as tragic because it is, but it's only because of how much reading up that people have done. And I'm not saying you like you can't idolize something and still find it tragic. Um, like you could like like Kurt Cobain, obviously like amazing talk, like people called him the John Lennon of his generation. Yeah, junkie died of a heroin overdose and a gunshot wound to the head. Like Amy Winehouse, amazing musician, takes influence from so many amazing blues artists and jazz singers, and maybe one of the best vocal talents that Britain has produced in like in like the last 20 years, but had a really bad abusive relationships, had really bad relationship with her father, um, had really terrible um relationships with drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and ultimately it killed her. Like it's it's you can still admire that thing and still find it tragic, um, but it does help to know more about them because I think not only does it make the songs more personal to you, it helps you understand new things. So like I didn't know that the man from Idols was a drug dealer, but now it makes the song "Never Fight with a, a Man with a Perm" a little bit different because yeah. I immediately yeah. listening to that song, I've never thought of it as anything than just a. I'm a tough guy in a tough town and I'm going to beat everybody up. But now you're thinking about it. He's a creep, like, what's it? He's a heathen from Eton, obviously hating, like, the upper classes. And then he's a dog shit man in a dog shit town. That's just someone with no intellectual, um, like, with no intellectual wit, just going, this place is shit and this is shit. And it kind of, you know, it gives you that perspective, which is important. And that's why like research and music is important because without um without doing that you wouldn't know half the shit you know about mm. the artists you love yeah so, yeah exactly should we move on to your final internet rabbit hole yes we shall so my last internet rabbit hole uh nick probably does not know much about this um franchise because he doesn't really play video games, um, but it's Assassin's Creed. So I've played. Yeah, every- <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I've played every single one and completed all. Like I've completed all the stories. Um, some games have completed more than others. Uh, so yeah, I played from one to Valhalla, all of them. Even some of the side ones. I think the only ones I haven't played is the Chronicles, which are the platformer ones, um, which were like on PSP or something. Um, but mm. this this game series. Started in 2007, I think. Yeah, 2007. And basically, it's the war between two secret organizations throughout history. One is the assassins who want men to be free and want free will and just everybody to be able to not be controlled by a society, not be ruled by tyrants um, and just live peacefully, um, even though they kill people to get to that goal. But one of the tenets of their creed is you should never, you must stay your blade from the flesh of the innocent. Um, so you like if you try, it's not like GTA. So if you tried to play Assassin's Creed like GTA, you'd get five seconds into it before it restarted you. Because if you hurt or kill a pedestrian or an animal or anything in the game that isn't meant to be killed, then the game says if you kill too many people, you will desynchronize and have to restart. Um but this whole franchise is built on history. It's built on its own mythology. It's built on real events, real people. So the first one takes place during the Crusades. Um, and so that makes sense because they're arch nemesis of the Templar. 
the Knights Templar. So that's where they started. The next game is based in Renaissance Italy, where um, the Knights Templar have become something more than just Crusader Knights. They are people looking for these pieces of Eden that are left over from a precursor civilization that used to rule humans that we have used their names for in different types of gods and they've influenced our society. And they had things to control humans because humans were a slave race. Um, And so these people with power are looking for these items. So we went through the Renaissance with Ezio. We went through, um, like I said, the Crusades with Altair. Um, So we play as a Muslim during the Crusades, which was really interesting. Um, Actually, the word assassin comes from the actual castle they use in the game. So the castle in the game was owned by a lord who didn't have any normal soldiers other than Hashashins, which became assassins. And they lived in Masyaf Castle, which is the castle where the Assassin's Creed is based in the game, which is really cool. And we then go to revolutionary America where we fight the British because of course the British are the Templars. Um, Mm. That makes total sense, king and country and all that. And then um, we move on to pirates, which may not make sense until you think, who was the people trying to kill the pirates? The British. Um, and the French and the Spanish. So that makes total sense again. Um, and then we go to, what is after that? We go pirates. Then we go, oh, revolutionary France, where we meet people like Lafayette. Um, we meet, so in the pirate game, you meet Blackbeard, Charles Vane, Jack Rackham, Anne Bonny, Mary uh, Reed. Um, you meet Benjamin Hornigold. You meet um, like so many privateers, pirates, and people who try to take down pirates. You meet, obviously, you meet George Washington, Alexander Hamilton. You meet um, uh, Sam Adams and Benjamin Franklin, all that in three. And your best mates in the Ezio games in Revolution in um, Renaissance Italy is um, Leonardo da Vinci, which is fucking class because he gives you like all sorts of weird shit that you can just play around with. Um, so yeah, this this game series is based around like taking real historical events merging it with the war between two factions that want completely different goals and um, basically change, well, not changing history, but using history and its gaps to create story, which is awesome. Yeah, honestly, it's it's one of the best things I've gotten into. Unfortunately, the games have gotten a little bit shit as of mm-hmm. recent. Valhalla is pretty good about Vikings, but I don't really know a lot about the Viking invasion of England. So there wasn't really a lot for me to, and it doesn't really teach you anymore, which is pissing me off. It's kind of like, this is a character. Go talk to this character. Instead of being like, this guy's a pretty fucking big deal in history. You know, you should probably, you know, read the thing that we put in the game about him and maybe we'll tell you a bit more about him and you might meet him again later and then he might have consequences. No, no, the new ones are just like, Pythagoras, look, let's carry on with the game. And it's like, I don't care. Um, it's it's fucking class. So yeah, we got Unity, then Rogue, which was just four reskinned, where you play as a Templar. Weird. Uh, Syndicate, which was um, Britain during the Victorian era, reign of Queen Victoria. The DLC is Jack the Ripper and the Indian prince that came over after Alfred died um, that Victoria was very fond of. Then we go into Origins, which is ancient Egypt which is actually the birth of the assassins. Um, it explains why they all cut, originally had to cut off one finger to get the hidden blade on. Um, it explains why 
they were called the hidden ones and not the assassins originally. It explains why they don't hurt innocents. Um, because the whole thing was these two people that started the creed, their son was killed um, by an organization who became the Templars. And so they didn't want to be like them, so they stayed their blades from the flesh of the innocents. And then um, it, it explains why they use hoods, why they stay in the dark, why stealth is the best thing for them, which is really, really good. Because if you're trying to take down, if you're, if you're trying to kill a guy that's behind 300 people, you're not going to rock up with three other people and a sword. You're going to try and sneak around, kill them and get out without being caught. It makes so much more sense. And then our uh, Odyssey we don't talk about because it's got nothing to do with assassins and it's Greek and there's mythological creatures which didn't exist, um, which is a bit weird. They just decided to throw Medusa into that game, even though mythology has never been a part of the series because mythology doesn't exist. It's not real. It's stories. And then Valhalla, which is good, but it's not great. So, yeah, any questions, Nick? <laughs> yeah, so as someone who, like, doesn't really um, play... I don't really, I would never consider myself, like, a gamer, but, like, over lockdown, a lot of, like, a lot of people I'm living with are really into games, but, like, one of my housemates is, like, obsessed with Warzone. Mm. And then two of my other housemates, they really like to play um, things like Bioshock, and games like that. So is like is Assassin's Creed is it like an RPG or like a first person shooter? Yeah, right. <clears throat> it gets like it gets look at me getting the technical terms. I, get, I know out. it's class. <laughs> it it gets complicated with Assassin's Creed. So um from Assassin's Creed one to Assassin's Creed four and then Rogan Syndicate, all those games are stealth-driven games, story-driven games. So um, there's only one route to take. Um, well, very loosely saying, there's only certain destinations you can go to at certain times. You can travel between villages and towns in the game, but there's not really a need to because mm. it's not where the story is, and it's mainly about the story. If you wanted to just go, oh, I really needed to get a couple things in Rome, and then I'll go back to Venice later or I needed to complete something in Rome and then I'll go back to Florence later or whatever you could. Um, it's very, but then like there's loads of different ways into palaces and stuff. So it is taken well, like stealth into consideration. It really pushes stealth. Um, but it is one of the first games to actually nail free running, like actual parkour, not climbing and running, like legit parkour. Um, so it's not RPG. It's, it's not RPG in the same way The Witcher is. It's, like you can, there's only so many dies for you. There's only so many dies with weapons and costumes. It's more about yeah. skill and story than anything else, uh, which mm. is cool. But then we move on to Unity. They tried to make it a little bit more multiplayer, um, which was okay. It didn't really work. They did really enhance free running and combat, making it a little bit harder because there was a main thing was once you killed one guy with a parry, you could kill everybody with like one button on each of them as long as you were making sure to parry if someone else tried to attack you again. Um, so, mm. But that, that that's the point of the game, is you're meant to be a badass un and unstoppable with a blade. Um, but then they changed it, still kept it grounded, and then Origins came out, and Odyssey more so, and Valhalla have really pushed it to make it RPG. You can go anywhere in any of the maps. There is so much gear. There's a lot of paywalls. There's a lot of um, abilities to mm. unlock. 
The story is more optional. You can go throughout the whole game without really getting what was going on. Um, there's a lot of mini games and stuff to do. Uh, but they're trying to keep it historically rooted and important. But unless you're the sort of gamer who will sit there and read things that their character picks up or read things in the database on the game, you're not going to get what you would have got from the previous games before. Before so it, like, so it used to be a game that was sort of very like story driven and it would like reward that sort of taking notice of the detail yeah. and like that was the enjoyment of it but then it sort of like moved to how sort of most games are going that more exactly. sort of like open world it's you to make it sell you like. yeah, yeah and and with, with the paywalls annoying. and stuff yeah, so Ubisoft have come under a lot of fire with the newest game. Um, one thing I really don't like, because it doesn't match the way that the stories are usually driven, I'm one of these people, I'm one of the people in the uh, fandom who really want it to go back to being story-driven, because that was a reason I was interested in the game, a reason a lot of people were. Um, it's now optional to choose between female, male, or let the animus pick who your assassin is. Um, which most people go, well, that's fine. Some people might want to play as a girl. Some people might want to play as a guy. What's your problem with that? My problem is this character is meant to be part of a canon universe. It's meant to be history. You cannot choose things that happen in history. So just give, if you want me to play as a girl for a game, give me a game where I'm a girl. I do not give a fuck as long as the character is interesting. If the character's good, I will play it. If, she, if the character's shit, I won't. Isn't, like, the point... I mean, obviously, I don't really know much about gaming, but isn't, like, the point of gaming as, like, a storytelling medium is, is the way that, like, you are yourself involved? And so for, like... Like, I know, obviously, for um, talking about, like, the whole... <clears throat> picking, like, a man or a woman mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and I know, like, Pod came under, like, a lot of flack for being, like, picking, like, a non-binary or, like, a gender-neutral sort of character as well. Do you not think that it's important that the players are able to sort of like almost put their own character into the game? Like, yeah, obviously, like what you said with Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. that it is very sort of story motivated, but at the end of the day, it kind of just like is a game. It really doesn't matter too much. I think when it comes, so I don't see video games when they're story driven as a different medium to film. I think it's the same sort of medium it is it like what you want is you want a good story with a good antagonist you want stakes you want emotional connections if you've ever cried during a video game which if you play a lot of story driven games you probably will i have it's fucking like it's meant to be like a film in assassin's creed 4 watching blackbeard die in front of me who was one of my character's best friend and watching him say in a world without gold we may have been heroes as he gets decapitated on the top of his own ship. Like, that broke my heart as someone who was playing as Edward Kenway, the pirate, who wanted to earn his riches, to go back home and live with his daughter and wife and not be a poor man from Wales. He wanted to be a lord in England with his own money, his own power. Um, But when you can choose the gender, um, it takes a little bit of what you can do with the story away. Because depending on whether you're a man or a woman, um, your relationship with your family is different, which basically means that you can't really make too much of a family connection in the game because whether they choose a man or a woman, it's different. Because 
you'll have a mother or a sibling or something. And so like basically, if you think of it like this, so you've got characters who have the motivation of, I've got to go back to my wife and family, like my wife and kids. And um, I'm not saying that there wasn't lesbian couples in like the 1400s in the Caribbean, but what I'm saying is, it's not a common thing for a Welshman sailing with pirates to be a gay man who wants to get home to his gay husband and his son. Or like, it, it couldn't be a woman wanting to go back to his wife and daughter uh, because you, you couldn't adopt and stuff like that. You need the real world history to tie down this character and give a character motivation. With the new games, it's taken that away and making it more just about how you play the game instead of... Mm having a solid so like if you wanted to play taxi driver nick but you didn't like if say taxi driver was a video game but it all played out exactly the same would it be different if you were a woman it would wouldn't it it would be inherently different um the, be an inherently know. different story well it's maybe not taxi driver. Like, surely it's all up to the people that make the game i guess like this is this is where it's like we're getting into like a slightly different conversation here and it's it's sort of like the notion of like why can't it be you know if you if you pick the character of a woman why isn't it then like why does it why does the story have to be different why why can it not just be like a purely cosmetic choice no exactly yeah this is this is what i mean but why can't i play a game where so like in all the games you've played a specific character. Why have they suddenly changed it? Obviously to make it more accessible, which is fine. Honestly, in most games, I couldn't give a shit what my character looks like, who they are, or what anybody else wants to choose for their character. If I was playing Fortnite and I wanted to play as a girl character, I can, which is fine. But the thing is, when you're establishing a story, like I couldn't write a script and go, the main character can be a boy or a girl. Because that really complicates it because, well, my character could be gay, but then if we flip the gender, the straight, um, I could have been trying to get across a met. So there's been a lot of points in the games where if I was a woman, it would have made more sense. But because I chose to be either or the man, it doesn't. But then I've now gone through the game again being a woman, and I actually preferred playing it as the woman because it was clearly made to be a woman. But they just didn't yeah. want they didn't they didn't want the people who were Vikings are associated with to be like no well I don't want to be a woman I want to be a man I want to be a male Viking that's what yeah. they're doing because so we, it's it's a very new thing it's only been in two games. So we're saying is Assassin's Creed like as you know a, a game story should have like committed more to like its players focus on a following through a story. Yeah, because it, it's rather be in a so story. Yeah, very much. Because if you look at the franchise of Assassin's Creed, it's mainly like the main thing that matters in the grand scheme of the franchise is not the past events that are happening. It's the events that are happening in the present. So it's how are the modern day team doing trying to find artifacts? How are they doing trying to follow the footsteps of this past assassin to find out where this piece of Eden is? Are they going to be Abstergo slash te- the Templars? Um, and it, it's really rooted in that. And we had loads of main characters that we've had th- throughout for years and years and years in these games. Um, in fact, Kristen Bell was originally the female protagonist um, 
in the first two games until she died at the end of Revelations. And then, like, uh, Nolan North, who's quite a big voice actor, he plays Nathan Drake, um, and he played Deadpool in the Deadpool game, and he's been on TV. He he played the main character. And they're trying to bring this modern day back, and they, they're doing that successfully. And I'm extremely happy with what Assassin's Creed Valhalla did with that. They're bringing it back to it mattering, mattering what's happening in the modern day. It is a life-or-death scenario again for the Assassins and the Templars. Um, but a lot of fans also really care more about the p- character you're going to play as the most, which is the historical character. So mm. if you can have an emotional tie, because I don't know about you, I can watch a film from that's the main character's a girl and still feel her emotional ties to people and still have empathy and sympathy for that character. If they mm. don't if they don't give me anything to hang on to because they don't want to, because they want it to be all up to me, then why do I care if my character succeeds in their goals or doesn't? It's story yeah. driven. I can't choose whether like I can't choose whether I'm watching Game of Thrones if it's Robert Baratheon or like Rachel Baratheon. I can't yeah. like it's not how it works, but there are mediums where you can make it work. Assassin's Creed is not the franchise for that because it doesn't lend itself to it. It wasn't made with that intention. It was made with a single play intention, which is important. Um, But the main reason I love these games is because it got me back into history. It got me back into one. So the first one I played was the Renaissance Italy games. And it was amazing. Like it got to the point where I came downstairs. My mum was watching something about the Medici's and it had a shot of Italy of just a main Italian city. And a bird just flying through it, and I, I could see the like the skyline, and I just went, "Oh, it's Florence!" And my mom was like, "How the fuck do you know that's Florence? You've never been to Florence." And I was like, "Well, I've climbed that building like a million times, and I know where that is in comparison to that, so I just knew it was Florence." And she was like, "That's weird." And there's been things where we've been watching like something based in the Caribbean, and I'll go, "Oh, that's Havana," and she'll be like, "How do you know that's Havana? You've never been to the Caribbean," and I'm like. Because I have in a pirate ship. On a fucking creed, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I love that. And it also has a really good law of the civilization before. They are based on old gods. So you've got Jupiter, Minerva, um, like Roman gods. But then in the new game, we see gods like Loki and Thor, who were not gods, but were the civilization before us. They were the masters of the humans. Yeah. Um, the writing that they've been using from the first game for what they call the Isu, which are the precursor race, has only just been decoded and the game's been out since 2007. We can actually read a fake language, a bit like people who read Dothraki can do that. We can now read Isu if we wanted to. Um, and it connects to, like, people can be reborn, like, gods can be reborn through people, and they're called sages, but they don't always know it. Um, mm. They may go for the side of what their god wants them to do, they may defy it on purpose. They may do things just because they want to do them. So the pirate Bartholomew Roberts was a sage, which means that he was a god reborn. And he just did what he wanted for the money because he was a pirate. Like, he's still himself, even though he is technically the reincarnation of a god. So he was like, no, I'm a pirate. I'm just going to carry on robbing people and killing people until I die, which is fair enough. But then the newest thing is Loki is alive um, and he is doing what Loki would do because he wants to, which is fair enough. So, this is in Assassin's Creed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just really in-depth, man. It's, there's so much lore 
Um, and then you've also got to think, well, we've got the precursor races and we know what happened with the humans and the precursors. And then we're going through all these time periods, but the, assassin is, the assassins are one brotherhood. So there's a whole history about the assassins. And then there's a whole history about the Templars. So you've got to think about the millennia of their battle and how much stuff you can learn about that. They've been going and still going now in the games. So they, they like the assassins um, and the precursors were the reason that 2012 was going to happen. Like the event that ended the world, and oh, they stopped yeah. it. So Mayan mythology plays into it. Norse mythology plays into it. Greek mythology plays into it. But then history of the French Revolution plays into it, which is insane. So it's almost mm -hmm. made this one thing like this. It's almost made history a linear story. Yeah. So it's it's something I'm I really really love, and I will carry on buying them, um, even though I feel like they are going down <laughs> the drain. But this yeah. comic, this whole comic books where like, because they didn't want to make an, they didn't want to make a World War Two one because it'd be too obvious, wouldn't it? Who are you going to assassinate? Yeah. Hitler, obviously. <laughs> so they did it in a comic book. No, I bet you they will make a film out of that. Give it like five years. Well, Netflix announced. <laughs> yeah, but Netflix have just announced that they have the rights um, for Assassin's Creed properties. So they're making a live action TV show and a couple yeah. of animated TV shows. So I'm wondering, are they going to use the games or are they going to jump into a different part of the law? Are they going to only do historical parts or are they going to take into account the modern day? I, I, honestly, I'm excited because if we get an Assassin's Creed that looks like The Mandalorian or The Witcher or something like that, holy fuck, it's going to get people interested because you've got to think yeah. these people are free running through major cities to then jump out of the sky with a blade you cannot see that's concealed on their wrist to stab someone in the neck and get away with it. Yeah. It's, it's going to be amazing. I, I, I probably would actually... I mean, to, actually, now that, now that the way that you've like described it and talked about it, if, if any of the games are on PS Now, I'm probably going to give them a go. They actually sound really fun. Oh my god! And mate, to be fair, probably actually would watch. Yeah, yeah probably we would should. watch a TV show. Honestly, they've got the, the the main thing that they've done since day one is they've got an author in to write a book, and they either use the book verbatim to make the game. Or they use the book as a springboard. So, like, the writer is allowed to do whatever he wants in the law. So, um, if you look at Assassin's Creed 3, you're playing as a native, half Native American, half British person whose granddad was a pirate. His dad is a and an assassin. His dad is a Templar, and his mum looks at his mum's tribe looked after a piece of Eden, um, which are the precursor like things that they're trying to get. And the book for three is all from Haytham, his dad's perspective as a Templar. So it's his dad dying by the hands of the Templars and him not knowing what they are. Him being recruited into the Templars and finding out that he was already in training to be an assassin and using that to make him better. Him like knowing all these people because of his dad, but using them against what his dad would have wished for. His sister going missing and dying. And then him coming to America to establish a colonial brotherhood. And then all of his life, but the game is centered around his child. But then Assassin's Creed 4's book is all about Edward still. So it carries on, which is really Creed. cool. Yeah. So honestly, if you want to, the pro like 
if you could get a cheap like PS3, you could start playing one through four. Um, and then yeah. PS4s will be going down in price, so you'll be able to play all of them. Um, and then there's yeah. Chronicles, which are dead cheap platformers. You can get there's been DS games, mate, and everything. There's so many different games, but the main stories are on major console and PC. So yeah, just give fair, it a yeah. go. That's really interesting. Should anyway, we, should we go for a break? Up? Yeah. One there. We'll be back after a quick message from our sponsors. <laughs> Which sponsors? <laughs> I want to get paid. <laughs> hey guys and welcome back to part two of three of your fa- three of our favorite things pods uh what we're going to do today is we're talking about internet rabbit holes my part before was about history and mythology um music and the creation and generally about learning about artists and stuff and then Assassin's Creed franchise. So we're going to move on to my co-host, Nick. So Nick, what is your first internet rabbit hole? Okay, my first internet rabbit hole is... I'm just going to sound like a right nerd. <laughs> <laughs> At least two of these. But the first one is like um, Star Wars lore. So when I was like oh, 12, like 12 until like 15, I was obsessed with Star Wars. Like, my every living moment was just sort of like focused around those films. And then I think like I was just started to lose interest when the new ones came out. And I was just like, these are actually a bit crap. What with the new, think, the new trilogy? Yeah. I remember uh, watching Force Awakens and being like, oh, that's cool. Like it's a new Star Wars that was really cool and stuff. Mm. And then I watched like Last Jedi and it was, it was Leia like using the Force to like, yeah. Go back into the spaceship after being like, I know <laughs> I'm going on a massive rant here. I can feel it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, there are moments, like, particularly in Clone Wars, where, like, there'll be the vacuum of space or, like, a part of a spaceship will get blown up and there'll be, like, clones just sort of, like, holding on to a bit of wreckage for five minutes. And being like, ah. But there was something about just seeing like Princess Leia dead in space. And you just, and you're just like, moving <laughs> <laughs> back into the spaceship. Especially since know. we've never seen her use the Force until I mean, like, that I'm, very I'm, moment. I've got no problem with like Leia being able to use the Force because obviously she's like Luke Skywalker's twin sister. And there, was no, there was no like thing to say that there was no hint there was no build-up it just happened and then never happened again yeah i, I yeah i think it was definitely like a bit of a wasted moment yeah. like it could have it could have been like you just said it could have been like a cool build-up to it um but yeah after watching the last jedi i was just sort of like you know what i like marvel now <laughs> <laughs> oh but nick but nick disney plus are gonna spoil your little 12 year old mind soon They've already yes. given you a Mandalorian. What? Well, and then like the pandemic hit, and I was like, I have got nothing to do. I am gonna, I'm gonna get a Disney Plus subscription. I'm actually gonna watch Mandalorian because you've been recommending it to me. Like loads of my friends have been recommending it to me, and as I, as I watched it, and I think I watched it all in one day. I was like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> but the next thing I know, I was watching like all of the Clone Wars mm. again, and then I was just sort of like watching loads of YouTube videos on Wikipedia for, for, yes. for like 
hours a day just like looking into like mad details like why Master Yoda hated the construction of Count Dooku's lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I can fully explain that to you. That's amazing. <laughs> Go on, please explain to me why Yoda hated the construction of a random other Sith's lightsaber. Okay, so obviously, like, Count Dooku used to be a Jedi. Yeah. And when he was a Jedi, he, like, had this premonition that, like, the Sith were going to come back. It was at a time of, like, peace. So, like, when the Jedi's had lightsaber, it was purely just for show. It was like, we got them if we need them, but we don't really use them because it's a time of peace. Yeah. But, like, Count Dooku or um, Master Tyrannus, as he would have been known in the Jedi Order, was like, ah, now the Sith are coming back. I'm going to construct a design of lightsaber that was um, used specifically for lightsaber on lightsaber combat, which is why it's curved. If you watch the film... As like a curved hilt, and that it supposedly gives you like more leverage when you're fighting against another sword or something like that. And the Jedi Order saw that and was like, no, he's got that to fight other Jedi's and kill them. So Count Dooku was like, fuck this, I'm leaving the Jedi Order. And then, and then use it to try and kill the Jedi. He <laughs> became like the Sith Order that he predicted. Oh man. Yeah. That's, 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 that's so that's why cool really though. Yeah. It's it's really it's really cool to know. So what's um so what sort of stuff do you look for at the moment for Star Wars lore? What what's some of the some of the stuff that started to get you into it? What was the basics that you only found out were basic through looking at it and how's it grown over time? I think it was like mostly it was just sort of looking at like Mandalorian prediction videos, particularly. So obviously when I watched season one, it was like a year or so after it came out. So I watched yeah. it just all in one. But then when I was watching season two, it was all about predictions about what the ending was going to be, you know, which characters were coming back. And then sort of like from that, it was like understanding more about that story. Because I think like Star Wars is, is a great example of how sometimes, and I mean sometimes, the fans can actually make a franchise so much better yeah. Because they just add in like all this other content. And I think keep with the Mandalorian as well, because it's not of that Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker sort of storyline is kind of separate. It fleshes out so much more. Mm. And it makes just like looking at the general world of Star Wars like so much more interesting. Mm. And then I think from that you just sort of like the algorithm gets you and then the next thing you know, you're thinking out. The weapon that could fire a lightsaber bolt. <laughs> Just like, yes. Right. You want to know about that. So, what is a funny piece of Star Wars trivia that you found out through researching? What is a harrowing thing you found out through research? And what is the coolest thing you found out? Okay. Um, okay, I'll tell you something funny. It's more to sort of like an anecdote, not necessarily like uh story or anything so in episode four so the original star wars film you have like this throwaway rebel pilot called captain porkins or something like that and he like has one line and then his ship gets blown up but he has like a really rich backstory like there's like a fan written and it's i think it's canon i'm not entirely sure but if you look him if you look him up star wars captain porkins he has like a really just sort of like rich and fleshed out backstory 
which I think is something that Star Wars does really well. It takes minor characters and puts them in a world. Yeah. It's not, it's the really great thing about Star Wars is, as we're seeing with shows like The Mandalorian, it's not just about one family or one guy. It's actually about an entire world and all these different people have lives and backstories and stuff. Yeah. So that's like my funny piece of Star Wars lore. What was the second we said? Uh, harrowing, something like pretty dark or scary. or Because um, obviously we've got to remember Star Wars is very, very loosely based around Nazi Germany and that sort of stuff. It's got a yeah. connection at least to that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I think like, oh, I think in terms of like harrowing, I think what a lot of people don't realise is, is like the, ex- like the experience of, like Darth Vader after he turns to the dark side. Obviously, you know, like Anakin Skywalker turns to the dark side and trying to sort of like save the life of his wife and his kids. Mm. And in doing so, becomes Darth Vader because he gets like mangled in a fight. But um, Palpatine actually constructed his suit um, in such a way that it like limited his ability and his movement and his force powers because Anakin Skywalker is like the most powerful force user and the Emperor was like intimidated by that so made a suit that effectively kept him perpetually in pain it would a make his like dark side more powerful but also like stop him from just destroying him so he could have he could have made a suit that would have kept him exactly at the skill capacity that he was at but instead he purposefully made it so he was limited by pain yeah spent like a lot of time actually trying to modify the suit to like try and make it something entirely different from what it was because i think like when everything went to shit i think darth vader kind of just wanted to be a farmer he didn't want to be the emperor's whipping boy yeah which is kind of fair enough um but yeah there's loads there's actually like loads of actually kind of like really creepy sort of stuff and um things like that as well so what's the coolest thing that you found out? I've got, I've got one really cool thing that I know about Star Wars that I just find really funny is that when lightsabers were invented, they had to be plugged in, which I was like, that is class. <laughs> it's cool. Like they had to be plugged in at a wall and then they have developed battery packs, but the easiest way to disarm someone was to just cut the cord between the lightsaber and the battery. So people were just getting like, being like in the middle of a fight and then immediately disabled and they're like, ah, oh, fuck, you just have to run away. I think uh, there's some like, there's some actually like really just cool theories yeah. that are sort of um, out and about. So there's the theory that the Mandalorian, TV show The Mandalorian, exists in like a parallel universe to the prequels. Oh. Because um, there's like a bit in Star Wars Rebels I don't really like it because I think it's just people who don't like the sequels trying to be like, it doesn't exist. And you can't <laughs> just really write out something of a canon just because you don't like the films. But there's like a bit in an episode of Rebels where you see this option to like travel from different dimensions. Mm. And the idea that, um, oh, damn. This would kind of ruin <laughs> season two of Mandalorian if I said this. Go this on. Is, this is your, just say this it. This is your spoiler warning, man. But the idea that um, when Luke takes Grogu as his first apprentice, as opposed to Ben Solo, 
that some people believe that that means that it's a different parallel universe or the parallel universe because there's a comic that says the first apprentice that Luke takes after Leia is um, is Ben Solo. But obviously in the Mandalorian we see him take Grogu. I I I personally think that's Disney just being like the comics. The comics are something else because Disney when they because if you Star Wars before it was bought by Disney. You used to have like the standard sort of Star Wars story and then the expanded universe. Yeah. Which are things like the Force Unleashed games, the books and the comics. And a lot and of them all... aren't canon on anymore, are they? They're all gone from canon. Yeah, they were all considered canon. But um, what you get now is writers like Dave Filoni and John Favreau. So John Favreau and Dave Filoni write The Mandalorian together and Dave Filoni basically did all of Clone Wars and all of Rebels. Um, they're they bringing they're recanonizing stuff. Yeah. They're bringing stuff back, which is really cool. Yeah, that's really dope to see. And I know we've got um we've got a uh, Obi Wan series and a Darth Vader series coming out. Oh, um, I am so excited for that. Apparently, so Ubisoft have been given the rights to make a new Star Wars game, which is yeah. from the underworld of Star Wars. I think we're playing a bounty hunter or something. And then obviously yeah. EA do Battlefront and have done Jedi Fallen Order. And we're getting, oh, I can't remember a name, but there's another TV show, isn't there? Ahsoka. Yeah, Ahsoka's getting yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, and then um, they want to do an R2-D2 like, kids show at some point that they want to make canon. Yeah, I think like they, they, they announced lots of stuff and recently there's been um, issues because they had to fire one of the actors because they basically said something that was really anti-Semitic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of shows that are now on sort of high... Well, there was, they were going to do like a range of the New Republic. Mm. Um, and that, that's on high latest now. Um, they're sort of like drastically rethinking what that storyline is going to take. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited for basically all of the new Star Wars stuff that's coming out. But so, particularly uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff and the mm. Book of Boba Fett. I'm really excited for. So, what do you, what's your opinions and what do you hope will happen with the new Star Wars film being directed by Taika Waititi? I, right, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think personally I'm gonna really enjoy it. But I know, like, because there are just some Star Wars fans that are just absolute assholes. Yeah. But like John Boyega, so he played um, Finn in the in the new stuff. He got death threats. Oh, he's got, like, he's got problems with the franchise anyway, hasn't he? Yeah, because the, the fact franchise... That they, they, made, they've been basically made racist cuts in countries where it's acceptable to get the film to premiere, which is disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And they, they were basically just... They were cutting out John Vegas character more and more because the fans were like, you can't have a black stormtrooper or you can't have a black Jedi, which is like fucking stupid because... A Mace Windu. And I was gonna B. say Samuel L. Jackson, where he literally got a lightsaber color made up for him. Yeah, and and B like in the original trilogy, you, you never see what a stormtrooper looked like. So how can you say you can't have? Oh, I fucking hate some stuff. <laughs> but like, why couldn't you have a black stormtrooper? Like they were all taken some as kids. People just, so you could people, have an alien one. Well, like people were just sort of saying, oh, it's it's pandering and they're putting it in just to tick boxes and stuff like that. And I'm just thinking, these stories are for everyone. I think like 
a lot what a lot of Star Wars fans don't realize is that the Empire, George Lucas wrote the Empire to resemble the American army during the Vietnam War. Yeah. And the rebels were like the Viet Cong. And I think even to the point with the hats, like the helmets that they wear are extremely similar. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um, think this is a this is a thing where the R2 like nerdier things uh cross over because Assassin's Creed is the same where there are a very, very bad proportion of fans that really don't like female characters in the games as female assassins. And that's had a lot of conflict, like in some of the groups. I mean, on Facebook, some of them will be like, oh, rate the hottest female assassins. And I'm like, what? why? We don't do this to the men. And then some people are like, yeah. well, I didn't want to play as a woman. Why did they give us Evie in the syndicate? And I'm like, she's a twin and she has a brother and you play as both of them. What's your problem? But yeah, it's... Yeah. Star Wars fans are actually maybe some of the worst people when it comes to that. Like, it's it's such a good franchise, but the fans are just dickheads. Star Wars fans, they're either either Obi-Wan Kenobi or the Emperor, and there's actually no in between. I mean, it's a bit like Tool fans, isn't it? So... Yeah. (laughs) Right, so, Nick, any closing statements on Star Wars? Um... Star Wars is really cool. Um, I'm cool for liking it. If you yeah. tell me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> right, Nick. So what is your second internet rabbit hole? My second internet rabbit hole is like generally just sort of cooking YouTube videos, but specifically the binging with Babish ones. I've got a few YouTube some of them. Yeah, I, I actually quite like Binging with Babish. I watched him because of his always sunny in Philadelphia thing where he did all of them. Yeah. yeah. He's like probably the one cooking YouTuber who has got a video for everyone because the main sort of concept for his channel is he takes foods from film or TV and does actual recipes for them. Yeah. He cooks um, them how they're said to have been made and then cooks them how he would do them, which I love. Yeah. yeah. Something, something I really like about um because i feel like actual like cooking tutorial videos um fall under like three categories um when it comes to on youtube you get like ones that are really really simple but they're always making something that you never want to make yeah it's like so like um the ones that are like the overhead cameras and it's like the ingredients coming underneath and it tells you that and it's like it's really really simple but i don't want to make a 10 pound big mac yeah so to move on or they're even just ridiculously complicated and they are just overly specific with ingredients Mm. and just not really used to anyone and they're there really just for the people that are making them just show off Mm. and i think someone who i like because of watching cooking videos online i've decided that i actually wanted to become a chef Mm. and sort of working through all that sort of stuff and figuring things out and trying stuff out in the kitchen. I think a lot of videos on the internet, people make them and I'm banking on the idea that people watching them aren't going to make them at home because some of the recipes just don't make sense. Uh, okay. um, but the Babish ones are always really good because in many ways he's not a chef. He's just someone who likes, he's never been a professional chef. Has he? Someone who likes, no, he's never been a professional chef. What? Yeah, he's just someone who really likes cooking. All of his equipment and all his whole kitchen looks like he is a proper 
the shit. Like, even looking at his backdrop and all the stuff he uses and his stove and everything, you're like, wow, you, you make bank and that's why you're a chef. That's because, <laughs> that's because his, he, his original job was a video editor. So uh, he's just amazing at making videos. So obviously, his videos look super professional. They look so, he makes so good. He makes, like, loads of money from these amazing videos. And he's like, well, I'm going to spend on what I enjoy doing. I'm going to get some pretty cool cooking stuff. That's so cool. Um, but he's actually, he actually makes some really good stuff. And he does the recipes pretty well as well. And obviously, Binging with Babbage is his main one. And I've actually made, like, a few of the recipes from that series. So I've done um, the Ratatouille from Ratatouille. That's oh, actually quite it. a good recipe. And there's like some like pastry stuff that I've done as well. But also he does a basics with Babish series, which is really good. Which is oh, I've seen, of- I've seen that. I saw a really good one for pizza and stuff, and I was like, oh, and I actually saved them to a list of things to try and make because I was like, these yeah. are amazing. I do that. I do all that time. The most of them I don't make, but I usually end up making the Babish ones that I save. So I've made um, a bread recipe of his and a pizza recipe of his. And yeah, he's also just really entertaining to watch. And he just does good content. That's so dope. That's a really good way. It does show with that sort of content how the internet is a really good place of learning. Like, because, like, when when we were kids, like, the first thing we would do would be Google something, because that's just kind of the generation we've grown up in. Like, even before we had phones that we'd take around with us, we still had a computer at home that would work or something or at school. And so we just were used to using the internet to learn because we were sort of the first generation to properly have it in our education and so that's why i feel like youtube is such a good place for that like with history and music and as you've just said with cooking but um what is your favorite not binging with babish thing have you got a favorite tv show netflix Um, show okay netflix show has got to be anthony bourdain parts unknown I, th- I thought for certain I knew what you were going to say, and it was not it. I thought you were going to say the chef show. I do. Oh, the I chef show. I fucking love chef. Fantastic. It's so good. That is such a good show. Yeah, Roy Choi is one of my favorite chefs of like ever because of like the stuff he does on that show. Mm. But Anthony Bourdain, parts unknown, it's not like a cooking, he's not going to give you recipes. But for someone who's like interested in food, just in general, it's a great show because it goes to like countries that you may never thought about or thought of food from those countries and then yeah. it shows you amazing food. But it's also a really good travel show as well. It's all about like what's going on in that country in like a really, really good way. I yeah. think like the best, the best sort of signifier of what makes this show so good is he did an episode on Kenya. And the thing about um, Kenya is because of the slave trade, it's it's sort of like thought that a lot of um, African-Americans come from that part of Africa. So going to Kenya is seen as a pilgrimage. And obviously, Anthony Bourdain is a white man. Yeah. So when it came to do Kenya, he did it with like a black co-host. And it was mostly just sort of like, his show and then like took a backseat on that one because of its significance to black identities in America. Oh, that's, I think that, that's so cool. That's a prime example of what makes that food show so good. See, I, yeah. I quite like him 
because he did um he did that LSD documentary, which was really good. Yeah, and I loved him in yeah. that. But one thing I did want to tell you about is um I can't what's his fucking name. Um, on the chef show, they get in that other Asian chef, don't they? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But um, mm. he's really fucking good. I'm about to find it now. David Chang. Yeah, and he yeah, does yeah. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, where he goes around with one celebrity in one place of the world and does breakfast, lunch, and dinner and like crit- like critiques the foods that they try. And the Seth Rogen one, they went to his hometown and everything. And like just did breakfast, lunch, and oh man, it was so cool. And like the That's girl cool. from Ghostbusters, um, the mm. one that used to be in SNL, she did one. And he was like, So, where do you want to go? Where means the most to you? And she went, I'm not gonna lie, the location I chose, I chose because I wanted a free holiday, so I don't know what the food's like. And he was like, Oh, well, this will be fun. So they just went to like some random Asian country where it's like it's one of those Asian countries where you're in the city one minute. We could walk down a path and find just like a ruin surrounded by trees. And it, like it was mainly seafood and that sort of stuff, which I'm not I'm not a big fan of seafood. I hate fish. So yeah. I, I didn't really like that episode, but the Seth Rogen one was fucking good. They got like donuts and like had steaks and stuff. But yeah, is there any is there any like really weird cooking things that you recommend to anyone, whether it's a YouTube show, a Netflix show? Anything that you were um, like, it's not your traditional cooking content, whether it be YouTube or Mary Berry's Best Bakes or whatever, but it's something that you find really entertaining. Okay, I think I think for someone who's wanting to learn how to cook and not just looking for recipes, yeah, there was like a Netflix mini series, like a mini documentary series called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. It okay. is it is four episodes. And it goes through like the fundamentals of cooking. It was made to like promote this book, which I've got, which is a really fucking good book. Um, but yeah, it just sort of like it goes through all different cultures. There's lots of really good recipes in it as well. And it talks about like the pillars of creating a flavor and also like fundamental techniques as well, but in a really like interesting way. And like you said in part one, with our context is key, and it's always done through like a story of like a particular cook or something like that so i definitely recommend that that's brilliant i just want to know one more thing before we move on to our next topic um so i've heard from a lot of like famous people that i've listened to on podcasts and people that have like made videos and stuff that there are restaurants out there where you can like get a meal and it it comes with like a oxygen canister or you can get a meal and it comes with like an edible like I can't remember which chef it was but it was weird and he made like a thing called sex on the beach and like it was edible sand with like an edible deck chair and a condom that was edible yeah and um, what are your opinions on mental food things like this that are like Michelin star things that are apparently meals people could only wish to have once in their lifetime I mean I think I think it's cool and everything. I don't think people should be stopped from doing that. I'm not going to stand there and say that's not proper cooking or that's not proper food. I think it's really clever and it's a really interesting approach to like looking at um, restaurants and cooking as an art form. Um, I think I'd personally say not necessarily something that I would be interested in learning how to do. Um, I mean, like, if someone said to me, oh, you've got a table at this restaurant that does 
edible condoms. I'd be like, okay. I'm going to have to pay. Yeah. I'll give it a go. Yeah. But I think like the most important part of food is like that you enjoy it and you feel sort of like full and nourished after it. So, yeah. yeah. So my... I don't know. I think a lot of people go there to show off and they don't really understand what's going on. Very, very much true. Very true. Um, one last thing, uh, very quick fire. Um, in terms of taste, home cooked or restaurant quality? Um, oh, damn. That's a very good question. I think, I think, um, trying to get that restaurant quality with the food that you cook at home is a really big cop-out answer. <laughs> I think it's like, you should always try and push yourself. It's a very um, lockdown you, answer, though. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably where it comes from. And yeah. I love going to restaurants. I love, like, the ambiance and stuff like that. But also, I love cooking for myself. And I think there is a certain beauty in a home-cooked meal. But also, you should always try to, like, Push it out that other level. That doesn't mean that it strips away any way of like the heartiness or like nourishment of it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have to go try a fucking restaurant next time you're in Liverpool when you can be in Liverpool. <laughs> That'd be a good podcast episode we should do. We could get like a takeout or something. Yeah, man. Be That'd like... be sick. We should try Wu Tan Scran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard so many good things. Yeah. Right. So, Nick, your last little midnight internet rabbit hole okay um, the my, nerd. <laughs> my last one is dungeons and dragons now i first played dungeons and dragons when i was like i want to say 13 14 with yeah, the kids in high school, like we'd like heard about it we we're like okay we'll do it sounds cool and for anyone who doesn't know, Sounds Dungeons cool. & Dragons is basically a game where you can do anything. It's a tabletop game, so it's not like on a computer or anything. It's all like written down, and you can effectively do whatever you want. But for a game where you can do whatever you want, there is a stupid amount of rules. Like, <laughs> there are probably... <laughs> There are libraries worth of books that you can buy for it and you yeah. can you have to make like character sheets and stuff like that and that's probably why, why because i've started playing it again in lockdown with my housemates i've just sort of been spending a lot of time like looking into the nitty-gritty of it because i've actually become like really invested in it because when you first start to play like oh, this is this is fucking stupid I've got to like say out loud that I'm gonna stab at this goblin, <laughs> and you got to do like the really awkward like role play bits and the dungeon master, the guy who's like in charge and tells you what you're doing and what's going on in the story that you're playing through. He's like, okay, so you might want to speak to this tavern owner. And you're like, hello, tavern owner. <laughs> A few weeks later, you're like, ah, <laughs> weary tavern owner, <laughs> an ale for my adventure. <laughs> It is oh. embarrassing how into it I get. <laughs> like literally, me and my housemates were all like over the age of twenty. We'd be there, fucking watching manga, like roll a dice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 
cheer at what number comes out. Like, oh my god! I haven't played. I haven't played D and D for years, and I'm still not fully convinced I was playing it right when I was playing it. Yeah, like it's, I, it's I remember playing it and being like, "This, this can't be right. This can't be how I'm playing it." Um, yeah. But I did, I did play it as like a teenager in high school. I think I was probably about fourteen as well, and then I played it a bit with my brother. Um, but I, I, I kind of want to give it a go again. I haven't played in ages, and I wouldn't know where to begin. But I, I'm really interested in it because it's like it's, it just seems like a bit of fun, and it, it's something that can be done like over zoom and it can it, it's just it's a laugh isn't it at the end of the day it's taken yeah. the love of things like lord of the rings and star wars and game of thrones or whatever and turning it into uh, a game where you can literally do whatever you want it's a predecessor to like the witcher the video yeah. games and stuff like that which is really cool i think like obviously with a game where you can do whatever you want and you, you can create your own story and stuff like that it can seem quite daunting um but i think like one important thing to consider is to like look at what content is already out there and you can get things like pre-made campaigns where it like gives you a set story that you'll play through and that's probably actually like a really great place to start um it may seem like you want to create this world or something like that and you've got to think like is it feasible so a website there's a website called dnd beyond um you sign up to it and on there you can make like online character sheets and it gives you like all the information you need. Um, there are a few paywalls on it, which is kind of annoying. Like you do come out to buy some of the content, but also if you are a bit more of an experienced player and um, you wanted to do it online, you can sort of like what you call homebrew stuff, which is where you sort of like make up your own sort of dynamics. So the game of D&D that I'm playing with my friends at the moment, um, it's in a world that my friend has like completely made up. And it's, he's got like, he's written maps for it. And he's really good. He, he writes like notes and like bits of clues and evidence that we like pick up and we get them in like physical sort of things, which is like really oh, cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. And it's all his world, but the creatures and the enemies that we fight are sort of like from a book. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've then, seen that's a very common thing. I I remember watching a thing about... Um, the genre of cyberpunk emerging and a lot of that is because of games that derive from D and D, um, like Ready Player One esque universes, where yeah. it is D and D, but there's like the uh, sci fi aspect brought in as well. But obviously, it's it's mainly derived from the medieval setting of a board game, which is cool. But yeah, so how long? Like, so if if someone was going to start looking into D and D. And they were going down internet rabbit holes for it. Um, what do you recommend, whether it be YouTube channel, other websites, uh, shows, anything that they can do that's helped you while you've been it's learning like, D&D? This is actually, it's all quite new to me because I've played it in the past, but I've never like fully gotten into it. Um, well, I fully just doubled down, possibly, possibly because of having little else to do at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> But so there's a YouTube channel that does like, it basically, they just film all the campaigns and it's mostly done by um, voice actors and stuff. Just who like to play D&D uh, called Critical Role. So um, you can just pick up and like watch a campaign that they do. Um, and then I think D&D Beyond, the thing that I mentioned um, 
earlier. I think they have a user chart. I'm just going to check that now. One thing I did find fun for people who are listening um, to do with D&D that um, is really easy to jump into where you don't actually need to know anything about it. You're just kind of following a story is uh, a YouTube channel called SourceFed Nerd where yeah. um, a woman called Maud used to uh, be the D&D master for a load of really, really funny people who would play along with her. I'm pretty sure they still do it under her channel on Geek Bomb. Um, so you should check that out. And also there was a... Um, community that used to play under um with jesse cox uh dodger um dex bonus um and total biscuit and people like that from the gaming world and um, that was really good and i'm pretty sure they still do it and they've played different versions of different games that's more for people who kind of get what's going on but you can still enjoy it if you're a newbie as well yeah so dnd beyond do the youtube channel and they they go through all sorts of different things. So I think the best way to do it is you can look on like Reddit and all that sort of stuff. But the best way to do it is just maybe, you know, get a pre-made campaign and then make a character and just sort of jump into it and have fun. It's one of those things. It's a game that really like rewards being creative and stuff like that, which, which is something that I really like because I hate sitting down to play a video game and you've got to do rules like I can't I can't do like smash because I can't you know figure out the combos or something like that mm. but what I like about D&D is you just sort of like I remember we were doing one thing we had to fight a wizard in the middle of like some kind of ritual and there was like these candles about so I was like oh I know what I'll do I've got this flask full of oil I'll just throw it at the candle and hopefully it'll set one of the wizards on fire. Did it work? <laughs> like, well, yeah, because you, you don't have to be like, okay, well, roll this dice for that. And if you roll high enough, you're like, yeah, that works. Which, which is something that I really like. It just was, sort it, of... was it just random oil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if it, it didn't sort of like... work, it, you could have been like, that was sunflower oil. And you'd have been like, ah. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think it was like, oil to do like oil lamps or something like that it just uh, an oil skin on the image and i was just like i'm gonna hope this is flammable and throw it <laughs> but yeah and so something that i really enjoy doing is making characters and choosing different classes so you can choose between like a, a, a ranger a rogue fighter paladin monk you know all sorts of different classes and then you get choosing one of those classes gives you different sort of abilities so i play a rogue so that means it's much easier for me to do being stealth yeah so um so like you roll for stuff so if i wanted to say master, oh i want to be hidden at this point i'd roll for stealth and i have because i'm a rogue um i've got plus five on my stealth rolls that makes it easier but say you wanted to be a character that was more sort of tanky, a bit more of like like a paladin, a bit more of like a bullet sponge, something like that. You might choose like fighter, and then you'll have like a higher armor class and more hit points. So that would reward more sort of like going straight into battle or something like that. Yeah, playing as a rogue, you'll probably you know, die. <laughs> you would die if you tried, to, but if you were like hidden, 
that gives you advantages on different attacks for different feats and stuff. Yeah. It's very like complicated and stupidly detailed. But once you once you actually get into it, it's crit like I'm surprised how into it I am. Yeah. In a weird way. Well, see, this is the thing that I was trying to explain before with Assassin's Creed is that it rewards the stealth aspect of the game, but also if you had to go in to a semi, like sort of all guns blazing thing, you could handle yourself very well. Um, because you're just a badass with a blade. But like it it does like in certain games, it does um enhance like you can enhance the stealth over the health, you can enhance the attack or like the parry and all the abilities over certain things, which is cool. Um, but yeah, with, with D&D, I remember playing it and I always wanted to be a rogue because I'm all about Hud's crossbows, daggers and shit. I was like, this yeah. is what I want to do. And then um, we had, like, we made someone be a healer because we were like, someone has to be a healer. So whoever got, like, the lowest role had to be the healing character because we were like, we, apparent, we, we only read it. We, we weren't sure if it was true, but it's best to have someone with healing abilities on the crew just in case which is yeah. yeah and then it's obviously best to have a tank and a sorcerer so yeah yeah, yeah. you want someone who can do like decent ranged attacks someone who can heal and then like someone who's just like a bit of a fighty character but i think also like once you once you start to get into it more maybe if you have played a bit of dnd and you wanted to like find more way of enjoyment i think like actually something that i really enjoy doing is writing a And then really enjoy like the role play aspect of the game, like interacting with other characters that you meet, yeah. which I really enjoy doing. So yeah. I think always something that's like beyond like the nitty gritty of what what certain attacks or certain spells do, just being like, what is your character like? Um, what is their backstory is a really good way to actually get invested in the story. Because it can be like quite a daunting thing, because it is just people sat at a table. And somebody will say, you now enter a tavern. What do you do? It's just, <laughs> so a, it's like just like text-based like video games. That's all yeah, it literally. is. Literally. It's just like, go forward. Yeah. yeah. This is the thing. But like, <laughs> yeah. I, so what is your, some of your favourite bits of trivia from the world of D&D? What are just some things that you find funny or don't make sense Ooh. or things that you just find really interesting? The things that you've found at the middle of the night? That is, that is a weird one. Because um, I, I think like, I think it's weird to say trivia because D&D can be so many different things to different people and people interpret it so differently. Yeah. And you can basically make up your own content. Um, as I say, like I get really interested in making characters yeah and so when you level up you can add more sort of like features and traits and that's something that really interests me and also like multi-classing so once you get to a certain level you can instead of using those xp points to add more to like the rogue class you can add in say like a fighter or a ranger class and yeah. that gives you more abilities and i think like as i say trying to create a character is something that i find really interesting yeah like you could basically turn into like if you mixed rogue and ranger class, you'd basically turn into like Aragon from fucking Lord of the Rings, which would be sick. Yeah. Like a little bit of armor hidden under a cloak and that. Oh yeah. But like 
it must be strange if you get um certain like classes that don't mix with certain like races like it must be really weird like having like a dwarf that's a rogue or like a dwarf paladin or something just some things that yeah. don't make sense or like having an orc as a healer things like that i think i think i'd never say like there's nothing you can't do in DD. because like i said it's a thing that really rewards creativity i mean so like, annie I guess... did a whole bondage scene in D, didn't she in community, <laughs> in community. so <laughs> but like one of the one of the characters that or one of the characters that my friend plays, like, he's a really old man. And he's, um, <laughs> yeah, he's like, it's like, he's just like, I'm 700 years old and I don't like being in the city. That's my character. <laughs> Amazing. But, but like, um, one of the things is he can turn into an animal. And there was like, oh, one, sick. There was like one um, bit where we had to like fight these zombies in a cave or like, a, or, like an abandoned mine thing. Yeah, and like we couldn't really see, so we were only be able to see like a little part of the map, and we were like kind of like sneak through all the tunnels. So this character who has like normally really low hit points and yeah. is more sort of like the healer, step back and do attacks from the back, turn into a panther and we just sort of like lead it all. That's amazing. I find really cool. So yeah, I think that's something I really enjoy about D and D. There's like you play by what's called the rule of cool. So. If it, yeah. if it works in the world and if your dungeon master is okay with it, run with it. And normally the dungeon master will sort of like um, want to reward more creative plays. So if you want to be like um, an orc bard, go for it and then like yeah. see how that works in the world that's going on. That's, that's what so I really cool. like about the game. There's no real rules. Yeah. That's really cool, man. I'm I'm glad that you found this thing over lockdown. There's so much shit going on. It's good to find a new interest and something that you can bond over with people that you live with. And yeah. it's a little bit of a laugh, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we call it a pod for this week? We then, shall Nick? call it a pod. Yeah. Right. Thank you guys so much for listening to three of our favorite things. We'll be back next week with an episode on one division. We'll each choose three episodes and we'll go through them in depth, talk about why we like them. This is more of just a discussion um, episode. We both really, really enjoy the show. We both really enjoy the theories that we get. And if we're being honest, um, the episodes we choose will probably end up linking to things because it's a Marvel show. Everything's going to hint at things that are going to happen later on in the show, hint at theories that will only come up later on or have been going or things like that. So um, we're going to have a little bit of fun there, but um, I'm already dressed like it's the 90s. So let's see what decade Nick shows up as. We should choose one of the decades and we, we have to like dress up as it. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. We'll is this even a video podcast? <laughs> I mean, I, I've I've took the video for the last one, so I may just start putting them on after the last one we did. So, yeah, the first okay. three episodes I think aren't video, and then they should be video. But we will let you know in the outro that's pre-recorded where this is at. So, Nick, um, do you want to promote anything before we go? Um, I think haven't really got anything going on at the moment. Other than his business underscore the underscore bistro Instagram I, I accounts, <laughs> which he has not posted on in ages. Um, maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll post on it again. You know, maybe he will. Maybe oh, you should do cooking fun. TikToks, Nick. 
combine two of your passions. <laughs> Cooking and TikTok. Cooking and TikTok. Some people, <laughs> you could do the secret room thing, but it's just your kitchen. Oh, that would be class. <laughs> Some people have a cool thing in their house and it's just your kitchen. I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so um if you want to follow anything of mine you can follow at punks underscore a underscore myth on instagram and twitter and on most of the socials and character development on spotify and instagram we've got a acoustic ep coming out soon with a new song and we've got oh, our live at the zanzibar sets that feature nicholas scott on bass um up at the moment which are pretty cool um, go show us some love on some socials and make sure to stay tuned for this podcast um, and on our socials as well. I don't think you don't you don't have a like an unprivated Instagram other than business in, in the bistro, do you? I might, I think I might start one, yeah. Do it, man. I reckon you should. That'd be sick. Oh, I'm sure we. I came up with Wills, which was cult fiction, which I think may be the best thing I've ever came up with in the history of my ideas. (laughs) I mean, Richards was Riccadilly Circus, which I quite liked. I must put it Nick Thought, and it'll just be me being absolutely whole. Please, we. I would pay. That's that's (laughs) your OnlyFans name, man. Oh, right. I'll make it, I'll make it the OnlyFans. Then. Yeah, make it OnlyFans. It'd be sick. You can make it free to subscribe, but then you've got to pay for every post sorted. <laughs> right. We'll um, see you guys next week for Thotty Nick. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Three of Our Favourite Things podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and make sure you follow us on your podcast apps to listen to more episodes. You can follow us at 3FavePod on Insta, that's with the number three, and on Twitter. And you can find me on both at punks underscore a underscore myth on both and nick at nick underscore scott 56 on Twitter. Please share our podcast and make sure to tune in next time and we'll see you guys soon.